We want to welcome you to this Love First podcast conversation. This is a part of a series where we are sharing in conversations about disabilities and special needs. And if you've shared in all the conversations, you know that some of the people that have participated are people who navigate their own disabilities. Some of them are doing that with uh, family members with disabilities and special needs. Some are uh, professionals in the field. And if you've watched all the conversations, there's some overlap in all of that. And so uh, I wanna thank you for joining us for this conversation. And today we have four wonderful people that are joining us. And so I'd like for them to introduce themselves. And so we're gonna begin with Alicia. And so would you just introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about your journey in disabilities and special needs. Love first, I know. My name's Alicia Stryker. My husband Joe and I have three kids. Um, we have six-year-old Nolan, 10-year-old Vivian, and then we have, uh, I'm sorry, nine-year-old Vivian, um, and then we have 11-year-old Wyatt. Um, Wyatt uh, does have autism. Um, he was diagnosed exactly 10 years ago in April. Uh, April 2010 is a very memorable moment. Um, uh, but uh, we're happy to be here. We've um, been on this road for a while now and um, happy to be having this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And Amanda? Hi, my name is Amanda Ippolito and I'm, a, a, I'm the mother of Joey, <laughs> Joey Ippolito. Um, Joey is on the autism spectrum. He also has an IQ of 40 mm -hmm. and um, we've been members at North Atlanta for little over 21 years and um, I'm just excited to have the opportunity to talk about this today. That's wonderful and hopefully uh, maybe Joey will join us along the way. Who knows, right? <laughs> okay, Frank? I'm Frank Seward, my wife uh, Tina Seward and uh, uh, let's see, it's Matthew Seward who's, the, who's our son and he's, had the, he's been, he was diagnosed with uh, high-level autism, and it's been an, an interesting ride, to say the least. <laughs> no doubt. And for our listeners, they will, uh, perhaps if they've watched uh, other conversations in the series, they might be wondering if, if uh, Tina is your wife, who was on another call, and that's the Tina you're talking about. And then, of course, uh, Alicia already brought up her husband, Joe, who also joined us for another call. So we're really glad to get those perspectives. And Beth, would you introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, my name is Beth Carvada. I'm a special ed teacher. I taught in the public schools for quite a while in New Hampshire, and then we moved here to Atlanta. Um, I actually taught at the preschool for a bit, and then I actually taught at the Swift School, which is a, a private school um, for kids with dyslexia and uh, other language-based learning differences. So I taught there for a few years as well. Um, and now I'm, I'm uh, just, I'm a, an academic tutor, special ed tutor, uh, primarily working with kids with dyslexia um, and other language-based learning differences. So. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you all for joining us. You know, Alicia, you alluded to that day. You know, that day in April. Could you tell us a little bit about what that day was like for you and how you remember it, how you think about uh, how that day impacted your life, why it's your oldest, uh, he's your first one. And so can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, um, with him being our oldest, we didn't know exactly what to look for or signs or anything. So everything appears normal, um, but you're also a little bit more, um, paranoid too about things, right? You're so worried, are they doing things exactly as they should be? Um, we started noticing things with Wyatt um, between the 12 month and the 18 month mark. Mm. More so just um, not participating. Uh, I mean, he was in a little Georgia Tech preschool, but not participating with other kids, just kind of sitting with the books. We thought maybe he was just like his father, <laughs> you know, he's just <laughs> after his daddy, quiet, wants to sit with a book. Um, but uh, they weren't worried, but there was a gut instinct in me that something was, something was off. Um, so Joe 
came to our 18 month checkup. Um, he never came to doctor's appointments after the first few weeks. Um, I was very much pregnant with our daughter. Um, and, but Joe and I both had a concern that it was not right, even though no one else seemed to pick up on it. Um, and, uh, anyways, what was interesting was, um, Wyatt started doing, started flapping that week and his little daycare was doing a, a big dance at school, you know, a dance, um, with the little kids. And we thought it was something he learned at school. And, uh, the doctor immediately said, how long has he been doing that? And I said, oh, he just started it a week ago. Um, it's like a little dance at school. And he's like, no, that's not a dance. That's, that's hand flapping. That's, let's talk some more and um, went through the discussion and basically ended it with we think your son may have autism you know you need to go to someone that can take a deeper look um, again I was very pregnant um, this was really uh, already was emotional as it was but you know Joe and I instead of taking the oh he's not we took it as we knew something was wrong and we need to do something. I immediately that afternoon, we reached out to the only friend I knew was somebody I grew up in the church with back in Huntsville um, to get their insight. They had a son with autism. I didn't know much about it. We spent, it was a Friday afternoon. So we spent the weekend researching. And then Monday I started making phone calls to figure out how we could get him evaluated. And um, that's what started the whole journey. Mm. But I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Mm. Something, you know, it's, we always say our, our lives before the autism diagnosis and our life thereafter. Uh, I've noticed that both Frank and Amanda were nodding at different points as you were describing your situation. You know, Frank, what are some ways that uh, what Alicia described uh, relates with you? And what are some ways that your journey has been also different? That, well, it's the flow, not necessarily flow, but you know, awareness to, of something is not right. Mm. You know, Matthew uh, basically was fine about was meet, meeting all the development goals to about a year, or, he was about a year and a half old, and then it's like you know, a train wreck. Mm. Yes, you know, and that's when we started doing some research we started and then we got we took them in to get tested at about three and that's when we got the diagnosis and it's it's quite correct I mean, it, it's the before and then after the diagnosis that you know life just changes yeah you know we've heard the words um, throughout these conversations where we begin to try to um talk about uh, typical or normal or the way we imagine things were going to go, you know, uh, uh, most of the time, probably by the time that we come around to having children, uh, you know, no matter how someone enters parenthood, there are some expectations that are built off of the people around us. And, um, and so that does create certain you know, certain thoughts or certain dreams or certain um, aspirations. And uh, this changes that dramatically. Uh, Amanda, tell us a little bit about your journey. Okay. Um, so things seem to be fairly normal with Joey. Um, I, he's my second child. I didn't really see a lot of differences. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, around that same time frame, I will say that... Uh, thing that was very significant when Joey was 18 months, and I, I want to say I'm not against vaccinations, but when he was 18 months and he received his vaccinations, he had been sick on a prior well visit, you know, where he was scheduled to have the vaccine. So there was more, uh, he was given a double dose of one of the vaccines and that night he had a seizure. Mm. And um, I, I just remember he, he had his back to me and I remember watching him, I could see he was trembling, you know, and I ran over and I flipped him around and I looked at his face and I was so terrified. And um, you want to talk about bargaining with God and everything. Um, and then after that day, Joey wasn't the same. Um, 
you know, they, they did confirm he had a febrile seizure. Um, and uh, when he came home, uh, he was a different child. He did not, um, the little language that he had, you know, the few words that he spoke, he didn't use anymore. And um, all that he wanted to sit and watch Teletubbies or anything like that, you know, it was no longer he wanted to follow me around and he wanted to um, play with his toys. Suddenly he didn't have any motivation to do any of those things. Mm -hmm. It was terrifying. Mm -hmm. um, for the three of you that have spoken so far, did any of you have a close family member growing up that you remember that had a disability? I did not. Strangely enough, my brother Claude has dyslexia. Never bad version of it, but the thing is that it was never diagnosed. Mm -hmm. We never noticed. Although we should have in hindsight, considering his very poor writing. Mm -hmm. Can you relate to that, Beth, what he's describing about dyslexia? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's always interesting, like in the brain research of dyslexia and autism, it's almost like they're kind of the antithesis of each other. Like with a dyslexic person, um, I always kind of like to think that it's like the forest, like they can see the forest and may not see the actual tree, whereas maybe a person with autism would see the tree. And sort of that's, I don't know, that, um, that seems to be super helpful with me when I'm working with students, because I do have, I, at Swift School, we did have some students with autism. I mean, it just kind of helped me sort of when I was working, when I'm working with them to really understand really truly how the brain is wired. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really important um, to really truly understand how they do um, take in information, you know, how they regurgitate information. But yeah, certainly the written piece of it is a huge spelling, you know, encoding, comprehension, certainly. Um, and even in uh, oral expression, um, so yeah, for sure, I can absolutely identify with that. Alicia, is that resonating with you? Yeah, our daughter has dyslexia. Mm -hmm. um, so we've been on that journey as well. <laughs> we interviewed it with for her. Um, so that's been kind of, it's, uh, there's some parallels for sure, some mm -hmm. unique qualities between the two, but um, we've been on that journey mm -hmm. with her as well. And that's kind of had its own unique um, you know, challenges for sure. Yeah. Now something that, oh, I'm something, go ahead, Amanda. I actually, I lied. I, I have dyslexia, but I don't really, I don't really view it as a, <laughs> as a disability because I, I had a good teacher that helped me overcome a lot of it, but wow. uh, parables were always a problem for me. There you go. There you go. Well, I was actually going to ask you to um, talk to us about something, Amanda, that you brought up that I think I think I, I understand that it can be a very explosive topic, but you didn't bring it up in that way. And it's this wonderment about vaccines. And you said in the same statement that you saw what appeared to be a direct link, uh, maybe in your son, Joey, but that you're not against vaccines. How, how have you thought through that? Well, obviously vaccines save lives overall. And I'm aware of that. I know that, you know, um, there's, even today, there's an ingredient in vaccines. It's a preservative um, with some mercury. And I, I do believe that even though they, it's really hard to find on the package insert, you can find it if you know how. And, um, you know, the doctor swore that it wasn't in there, but I pulled out the insert and showed it to him and he was mm. aghast. Mm. Uh, but, I believe that some humans are, they can't tolerate that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think the fact that he was given a double dose of one of his vaccines, it just, it just seemed like it was an immediate change. And, um, but, you know, certainly I don't want the whole world to get sick. And I, I don't believe in that. And I, Joey gets vaccines, but they're spaced out. You know, I just didn't, I didn't continue to do it on that same schedule. Mm -hmm. I just spaced them out further, and he's the healthiest kid I know in that regard. Right. So I think one of the reasons I wanted to lean into that with you, 
was I think that it's hard for us sometimes <clears throat> to tolerate a what I might call a living conversation mm -hmm. where rather than just talking about something and ending it with some firm immovable conclusion the, the living conversation says that there's nuances to this conversation that need to be listened to and highlighted and thought through and that's part of what you're doing you know right now you know um beth i'd like you to uh, share a little bit from your perspective what is it like when a family comes to you different families and you see that sometimes either, uh, like in the case of Joe and Alicia, they were on the same page. And then sometimes you might see caregivers or family members that are not on the same page uh, with a, specifically their child who um, is coming for therapy. What are, some, what are some things that you've seen there, some experiences that you've had? I think right off the bat, <laughs> I, re, um, I work with a student right now who is a fifth, well, actually he's a now a sixth grader, um, diagnosed with dyslexia, and probably I think in fourth grade is when I began working with him. But because the public schools don't recognize dyslexia, um, she has actually decided not to even tell the school that, that her son has dyslexia. So mm -hmm. um, I think, so really the conversation becomes with a lot of the kids I work with is kind of being their own advocate. And I certainly respect that mom's decision. And I do believe that dyslexia is a superpower. I mean, I do believe that, um, but at the same time, so having that honest conversation um, with, with mom, um, she's a single mom, um, was super important to, you know, so that she could talk through, not the dyslexia, certainly the dyslexia, but also have that conversation with their son and sort of celebrate it, right? Mm -hmm. Celebrate how his brain is wired. Um, and so that, you know, that, that, that was an honest conversation to have with her and to have with him. Um, I'm trying to think of some other situations. Um, sorry, Don, kind of drawing a blank as far as... No. Uh, with families, but yeah, I do believe that it's just being honest and and I, I believe it was Connie that brought up Diagnosis and really being mm. Understanding and being honest about the diagnosis. And I think that's so important for us to To truly understand these kids and like I was talking about before kind of having that paradigm shift like Really certainly understanding their 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 weaknesses, but really honing in on their strengths, right and just celebrating those and um, I think so, so often we're trying to find a cure and I know specifically for the kids I work with, there's no cure for it. You know, we, we teach to it, we teach to their strengths, we teach to what they can do and which I think is, is, is a beautiful thing. And, and we certainly have a lot of success with that, right? When we celebrate, celebrate who they are and how God made them. Yes. I've some of the resources that people on this call, as well as some others on the other calls we've been doing, you know, whether it's documentaries they send me or research or the CDC or a variety of, of those things, mm -hmm. things that's been stressed over and over and over again is that making a clear commitment to living into someone's strengths well that's something every every human needs but specifically obviously because of the way society is functioning and the way the world is built um, people who are dealing with navigating a disability or a special need can quickly find themselves almost in a, a place where nothing around them is built for them so to speak that the world is built for apparently for someone else mm -hmm. very quickly it can begin to feel like that there's something so wrong with me mm -hmm. nothing about me is right and nothing about me is <clears throat> is a strength versus helping someone to actually lean into their strengths i think i think that's just really really important i'd like to uh, pose another question uh, to the group 
So uh, on this call, we've talked about the different ages. So let's really quickly, let's refresh everyone again. Uh, Alicia, how old is Wyatt? 11. Right. And then Amanda, how old is Joey? Joey will be 21 on June 14th. Okay. And then Frank, how old is Matthew? Let's see. He's uh, 21 going on 22. Okay. So let's start there because one of the things that's hap that happens is children age out of opportunities, programs, uh, schools, right? And specifically for Matthew, uh, that aging out is not a far away. And tell us a little bit about what it's like as your child ages out of particular opportunities as he was uh, growing older and how you anticipate the change that is coming before his 22nd birthday. Well, actually, most of the changes are going to occur on his 22nd birthday, but the thing is to get him prepared for these changes beforehand. Mm -hmm. Because basically, Strive's education is going to be over. And we're going to, he's going to have to be having responsibility of being his own advocate in the job place and where he lives. Mm -hmm. he, he's going to have to have enough skills to be able to care for himself. Yes, yes. Amanda, do you want to speak to this um, process of aging out of different or aging out of and into other responsibilities, opportunities, and challenges? Well, you know, Don, I think that, um, you know, since Joey was diagnosed at five, because at that time they wouldn't diagnose someone with autism until they were five. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I already knew. And really from that moment, you know, I wondered what this day, that day would look like. Um, and I guess the difficult part about it is, you know, what I see from my son is that he's not going to be able to um, live that, the pursuit of happiness, <laughs> the pursuit of happiness and, um, you know, the things that, that he wants are, are what are, you know, will, will he see those things and how will I be able to help him? You know, Joey is, in my opinion, uh, very functional socially and, um, and everywhere he goes, every workplace that he's been, you know, they've been very, very happy with his work. Mm -hmm. But without that support that he's provided through the school system, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like. I mean, I'd love to see Joey in a community home, a group home, somewhere in Dunwoody, um, you know, working a part-time job and, you know, getting more involved in some of, with young adults that are similar. Yeah. But I, I also have to say, though, that, you know, Joey doesn't see any problems with, you know, anything. And so, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't always even want to be with similar people. Yes. Yeah. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting situation. Yes. And, and you bring up something very powerful is that perspective of someone looking into the life of person, a person walking with a disability or navigating disability can be fundamentally different than the person themselves and how they perceive it and how they might think about life and describe it. Um, in uh, this conversation, I think it's always helpful for us to be reminded that in different ways of describing maybe families of disabilities, sometimes it comes through illness or injury, right? And then, but other times, of course, it comes in other ways where someone is dealing with a developmental disability or some physical disability, some who have been on our calls, um, uh, uh, there was something that happened during the birth process, you know? And so uh, they remarked that they've never known life any other way. Whereas for some folks, it was an injury or an illness that brought this uh, about. And again, for them individually, they can remember life before and life after 
just like you all have described as parents, life before diagnosis, life after diagnosis, changing uh, broadly, you know. Um, Alicia, why don't you walk on, keep us walking down this path of aging out of and into various opportunities in our society for people who are navigating disabilities. Yeah, we, um, you know, even though Wyatt's got a ways to go, he'll, you know, he's a rising sixth grader. Um, it's something we're already concerned about, already thinking about. Um, you know, we set up a special needs trust years ago, my father, before he passed away. So that was one of his goals before he passed, mm. set it up um, so that he would be taken care of. How mm. that's going to look, we don't know. Um, Wyatt, uh, the home we live in, we bought, part of the reason we bought it was because it had, um, a mother-in-law suite, so to speak, a basement area that we could, at one point, if Wyatt needed to live with us. Um, he's a, chess has been his passion and something he's really good at, and it's the one way we see him connect with other kids. And um, we've talked to him already about, maybe he could be a chess instructor, you know, just different yes. things to, um, that he gets excited about and we get excited about, um, but, you know, it's one of those things we know is coming. Um, and we're already having to look into it because the options are few. Um, and we're kind of looking to those that are ahead of us to see um, what they're doing and what's out there and what we need to be doing to prepare. Mm. Okay, so now let's, let's, you just helped us step towards something. And that is uh, this idea of the support team, the community support team, you know, uh, Alicia, you mentioned your dad, you know, and uh, others that I've listened to and heard their stories. Uh, I've heard of aunts and uncles and grandparents and friends at work and people who were maybe uh, not directly the caregiver, but they saw a role they could play in offering support. So let's talk about that. What if, if you could say one thing, here's, here's something that really supports us, that supports our family. I realize not every family will be supported exactly the same way. But, you know, Alicia, you mentioned something there. You mentioned other people that you kind of look at them ahead of you down the path and start imagining. So why don't each one of you just share a little bit about meaningful support? What does meaningful support look like for you and for your family. Amanda, do you want to start us off? Certainly. So um, up until now, probably the most meaningful support that I've had with Joey. And I just want to also say briefly that I felt like a single parent since this started because Joey's father just believed that he was going to grow out of this and not to worry about it. And it was actually hard to like spend funds on occupational therapists and speech therapists and things like that. Um, the greatest support that we've had really, you know, was the North Atlanta youth group and Joey getting to go on, um, on the, some of the trips, you know, yes. and the retreats and the retreats. Yes. That's probably been the biggest thing um, for Joey and his life up until now. Um, I believe that uh, family members will be helpful in the future. I, my, one of my sisters says, you know, she'll, she'll take care of his finances. Um, my daughter, she's 30 now. She knows that at some point after I'm gone that she may be physically responsible for Joey at some points, depending on, you know, what's going on. Um, but it's scary. It's scary. Yes. You know, I had Joey when I was in my 30s, so um, I'm always worried. But, um, you know, and Joey loves school. Joey loves what he gets at school, and Joey feels, you know, very much a part of Dunwoody High School, and mm. um, that's been a great experience for him. So those are the best supports, the social supports um, yes. up, up, up until now. Yes, yes. Yes, Frank, can you share a little bit about ways you've been supported and ways, ways that are meaning, meaningful to support you and your family? I want to, well, the 
ladies' group that Tina meets with has been a tremendous support emotionally and mentally. And that's one of the, that's one of the things about having a child with special needs is the emotional and mental brain. Mm. And they have given her, her and, and there are members of the church who have, I've been able to talk to just to overcome the, the, the sheer weight of the mental and, and spiritual weight that, that and responsibility. And that's been very helpful. Yes. Frank, in a previous conversation uh, with some of the folks on this call, you described something that I would like for us to revisit. You okay. About wearing, like, um, wearing a mask, not a COVID-19 mask, but wearing right, a mask. The emotional mask of everything is fine, everything is great, you know, we're able to cope. And it's easy to put that on because you, you want to, you feel like you almost have to put up, project that face. Because mm. you don't want, because again, you, you, you know, because you don't want to be thinking yourself or others thinking of you as a failure, as a parent. Mm. And the thing is, and it gets harder and harder because, again, children with special needs or disabilities are extraordinarily mentally, physically, emotionally, and, and materially uh, draining. Mm hmm Is it hard for you to say that sometimes and to share that openly? Yes, it is. Because, again, uh, we like to you know, see ourselves projecting a certain image. Mm -hmm. even, if it's, if it, even if it's a false image. Mm -hmm. It's one of the great temptations, Satan. Uh, lets us indulge in. Yeah. Frank, in that conversation, as we were preparing to do this series, and right now, there aren't words to capture how powerful and impacting what you just said is. Not just for families, who are navigating the journey that is similar to yours. But for everyone, you know, this thing in society that makes us want to project ourselves a certain way, to try to uh, mask how we might be feeling about something, because it can be very fearful that someone will uh, kind of put a benchmark at our lowest moment they will imagine that if they've seen us in a downtime, that that's how we always are. That if we're honest about the depth of the difficulty, they forget that we also have celebrations. You know, um, your wife, Tina, is, of course, you know, on another one of these conversations. Right. Remember her describing the difference uh, in your particular journey of some of the things that. Uh, uh, raising a child would involve, you know, some of the typical things, learning how to eat, potty training, different things like that. And that uh, I remember she said that, yes, it took longer. Yes, it was more difficult, but the victory was so sweet that we could celebrate with great joy. And I think that's part of why I think these conversations are vital is to have the full conversation you know beth i'd like you to start us off on the next question and that is advocating so we've heard it a couple of times some people can advocate for themselves and some people are not able to advocate uh, for themselves right? right and so what i'd ask you to do 
is to talk about that. Now, if you can hold on just a moment, I just looked outside and I have a repair person of all things that just walked up. <laughs> Put a pause in it. I will come back to this moment to that question. Give me one second. Okay. See this guy okay. out my window. Hold on, I'll be right back. <laughs> Did we play the uh, Jeopardy uh, final question music oh, yeah. or what? Uh, so, how are you guys uh, doing? We're good. I'm good. I'm good. How about you, Frank? Well, it, I'm getting bored because, um, <laughs> and mainly because my job's not letting me know when we're going to be coming back. I was going to ask, are you doing any work from home or? Well, with, I have certain restrictions that, you know, that there's only certain types of jobs I can take and I have to get permission mm. to take those jobs. Gotcha. And with the office being closed, I can't get permission. <laughs> it's ah. Of, ah. So, mm -hmm. um, um, if this could, what I was going, what I'm thinking of doing it is uh, seeing what I can volunteer for. There's no restriction on volunteering. For sure. For sure. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Okay, we're good. Sorry about that. Uh, I have been trying to get this guy out here to service an air conditioner, and that has been tif difficult in COVID-19, right? Yeah. Oh, it's one of those four-hour window deals. I will show up between this and this. <laughs> and I can see him out there kind of trying to see if anybody's around. So, oh my goodness. Thank you. Sorry. About that. Okay. Let's, let's uh, come back to this. Um, so, uh, Beth, what I left you with was the question about advocacy. And part of what we recognize is some people are able to advocate for themselves and somewhat advocate for themselves. And for some, uh, the disability that they're navigating could potentially mean that all of the advocacy has to come through someone else. Mm -hmm. And so what are some things you have learned about different ways that a person with a disability can advocate for themselves and then families and other people like yourself mm -hmm. can join in in advocacy? Well, I mean, it starts with this kind of forum, right? It starts with educating ourselves as teachers, as parents, as friends, as family, church community. It's being intentional. It's being curious. It's wanting to learn, wanting to help, wanting to serve, um, especially for those who are not able to advocate for themselves. I mean, we have to educate ourselves, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, it's just, it's imperative and and i that's why i'm so thankful for this moment for this opportunity um there's got to be an awareness you know even especially at church even in our bible classes having the discussion with our bible teach with our with our teachers um about about how we all learn differently mm -hmm. and um i i think i think at, specifically at north atlanta i think that's where maybe the conversation needs to start is really talking to our teachers and, and having some training, having being super intentional about it, how these kids are wired, how do they learn? I mean, you figure one in five ha uh, people uh, has uh, dyslexia. So, mm -hmm. I mean, and I always say those are kind of the fall through the cracks kids, like especially in, in a public school environment. So even that is important to know, like, you know, just kind of how they're wired again. Um, it's honestly just having that honest conversation like, like now, right? So we can all be an advocate for each other and for, for our kids and for those that, you know, for those that it's just for a community. I think it's super important. Um, again, with the kids that I work with, with dyslexia, I, the, the first time we meet our very first time together, even at Swift or, or um, some other specific schools that ser serve those specific students, you have the honest conversation. Like, what is dyslexia? What does this mean? What does this look like? Right? And we talk about people that have dyslexia um, and kind of where they've gone on in their career and their life um, and being an advocate for themselves, 
um, even if it's just in the classroom or with other students, you know, being an advocate, talking about it. It's, it, we should, I feel like sometimes those kids have such anxiety that they do believe that they're, whatever they are dealing with, whether it's the anxiety, the dyslexia, or um, it, it's, it's, people think they're using it as a crutch and that's mm. so not the case. That's just how they are built. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, I do believe that we just need to educate ourselves. Um, and that's the biggest, biggest, in my opinion, the biggest advocacy is to, is, is education. Okay. And something you've also touched on um, is it is estimated that 61 million Americans and thus 26% of our population are navigating a significant disability and a billion, one billion people worldwide, mm -hmm. according to what I could understand from C the research that the CDC has compiled, mm -hmm. between 70 and 90% of that is what they refer to as an invisible disability. And so I think part of us educating ourselves is realizing that just as you all mentioned, that you begin to wonder, what am, what am I seeing? with your own child, what am I seeing? Is this, is this a dance or is this a sign of autism? Is this the development that someone will grow out of or is, has something happening that requires further diagnosis, right? So what about, uh, as far as parents, Alicia, what are some ways that you have learned to advocate for Wyatt specifically, but also for your family and, and so on. Yeah, we've, um, you brought it up a little earlier. I've been fortunate that Joe and I are on the same page. Mm. Um, and so we've got each other to, and we both, um, you know, from having friends whose children were diagnosed with autism at a later point um, that kind of went into the denial, we um, kind of took a different approach to it. Um, and we were fortunate, Wyatt was a part of the Emory Autism Center. He went to Walden for four and a half years and um, they come with us as our advocates when he transitioned to public, when he transitioned to public school. Um, so we had them, we've, um, well I've, I think more so than Joe, but I've joined a lot of support groups, um, both uh, for autism and dyslexia and even ADHD, all three of our kids um, have ADHD. Um, and I'm in support groups for all of those. Uh, and to help me learn more about each of those and what I need to be asking for. Because if you don't know what to ask for, um, you're just gonna get whatever they give you and that's not always what's best. So I do believe education is number one, but I think having support of people that have been there and um, have far more experience with this than we do um, is where I look to to um, help us understand it better and know better how to advocate for our children. Mm -hmm. And Amanda, you were nodding your head there at different points, but I wasn't exactly sure. Tell us what, what uh, in, as far as the advocacy journey in, in your own life, what are some things that you've learned and seen? Well, one of the things I've learned is that if I go to an IEP meeting, especially when Joey was younger, without some backup, some support behind me, that mm. I'm not even going to know what I need to ask for. So, um, you know, early on, uh, Joey went to a, a special private school for a few years, and um, it really helped him. They used mm. applied behavioral analysis to motivate him to speak and to gain a lot of skills that he was missing. But it came to a point where some of the kids at that school um, had behavioral problems that were so extreme that I had to make the decision to bring Joey back into the public school system. Mm -hmm. So when I did that, um, I hired a disabilities attorney and for several years, I brought that person into the meeting. Mm -hmm. Now it's not an inexpensive endeavor. It, it's expensive. But, um, you know, I was able to feel more confident and she was able to ask questions that I would not have thought of. Mm. Um, I, I feel like all of Joey's teachers have been excellent, you know, 
but the school wants everything done at the lowest cost. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes the needs of the child are overlooked. Mm -hmm. um, some of the other advocacy is, um, you know, sometimes it's not taken very well, you know, when I speak up for Joey, you know, mm -hmm. but um, you know, when I advocated uh, with, with the leaders in the youth ministry for Joey to start attending the retreats and things, you know, that was a big turning point for Joey to be able to yes. do something and to be with other friends. Now, you can't always stay engaged with everything that's going on, but just being there with people his age, that meant so much to both mm -hmm. myself and to Joey. And, um, you know, that's, that was just tremendous advocating for social opportunities for Joey. I think one of the hardest things that I've dealt with, um, I mean, there are some kids that call Joey, you know, but, um, and he's got some best buddies at school that reach out to him. But, you know, a lot of times people say, hey, you know, Joey, well, you can come over for dinner one night or, hey, Joey, we'll go do this. And it never materializes. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's one of been the hard, that's been the hardest thing is that, um, you know, everybody needs connection. Everybody needs connection. And, um, and to be honest with you, even in my family, it hasn't been great with the kids his age. You know, they don't really know what to do. Mm -hmm. He's got a nephew that's two weeks different from him, two weeks apart in age from him. And that kid is, is not equipped. He doesn't know what to do. And, um, it's usually me asking, hey, we, why don't you call Joey and go to a, a movie and I'll pay for it, you know? Um, so it's kind of, that has been just, just the day-to-day the -day life advocacy is also difficult. Yes. You've brought up a profound point. I think all of us, I can say, I was so drawn into that, what, what you just did there. That movement from advocacy in kind of the system and, you know, navigating the IEP or whatever, down to navigating just daily advocacy for life. And I really appreciate you, uh, all of you, you got bringing that up. Frank, let's shift our attention to something you touched on earlier, but I want to return to it now, the spiritual journey. Um, what are some things that you have discovered, encountered, wrestled with in your relationship with God that you can see were either initiated by or directly impacted by raising a, a son with disabilities? Mm. The main problem was just accepting the situation as it is. And as it was, because again, we ha all have all these expectations of what will be, and this is a major, uh, let's see, Job-like moment where you know the house comes crashing in. Uh, but one of the great things about this, about having Matthew, is that you know it refines you. It makes you become stronger as you work through this. Mm -hmm. you, because you have you just have to do things you have to just step up to the plate and do things that you didn't think you could do before. And that spiritual journey has been rather difficult, but I think both me and uh, Tina wife have become much better persons mm. men. Wow. Me especially. <laughs> Frank, you are an amazing uh, husband and father and brother. Uh, it's, it's awesome. And I, I think we all probably resonated with a word you used and a phrase you used refined, refined as you work through it, right? The refinement isn't like a light switch on the wall that 
click and all of a sudden we transition to everything we wish we were. But it's no, ongoing. It's a, the, no, refinement is a very complex uh, process if you, you know, ever studied it. And it takes a lot of time, effort, and struggle. Mm. Yes. And it's not, it's slow. Yes. And there's quite a few, you know, stop points and, you know, to sit there and not, you know, no apparent change occurs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amanda, can you pick up on that and talk a little bit about the spiritual side of things and the spiritual journey for you? Certainly. So, you know, oftentimes my, my mind goes to, um, you know, be worried for nothing mm. um, and other topics like that. I mean, all in all, if I didn't have a strong faith, I know somehow, I don't know how, but somehow everything's going to be all right and, yeah. and everything is already all right. Mm. I know that. At the same time, I, I also know there's no day off from autism, you know, and um you know, my life as I saw it with me, you know, being a gourmet cook in the kitchen and doing these things, my life isn't that slow. Everything has to be fast. Everything's been uh, changed to, to meet his needs. But at the same time, you know, one of my greatest worries, I mean, I believe that God would not forsake a child like Joey or any child because they couldn't make a decision but one of the greatest moments of my life was when Joey made the decision to be baptized. Yeah. And that was something that uh, we'd been talking about for many years. He'd been talking with Justin mm. and Kendra about it for a long time. And when they called me and, and told me, hey, he has made the decision and he's doing it. And, you know, video that, and you were there, Don. You I were there for that, that, amazingly enough. Um, you know, that was one of, that was a moment where I knew that, um, God was hearing my prayers and that, um, he could do a great work in Joey and in me. Mm -hmm. Um, the, and you know, it was sort of miraculous. Yeah. That was a great day and a, a awesome hug. I will never forget when Joey, uh, was baptized in the, in the uh, Gulf, uh, yeah. down there at Gulf, uh, around Gulf. Or we were down there around Panama City, Panama City Beach, and it was amazing. So, and it was cold. It was very cold, surprisingly yeah. <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, but awesome. And Alicia, tell us a little bit about the spiritual journey for you. Yeah, it's um, it's changed a bit over the years. I think um, early on, it was a lot of why me, why us, why him. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I, it led to depression. I led with depression. Well, I still deal with depression, um, but it started with all that, um, which kind of took me on a whole different journey, um, spiritually. Um, but I do think that again, you know, Joe, I think it's kind of made us stronger because we do depend on one another so much that I think from a marriage standpoint, it's helped. Um, I do, I would like to say, I think the church has come a long ways as well with that. Um, when, uh, Wyatt was young, Joe and I flew up to Raleigh and toured Brooks Avenue. Church mm -hmm. of Christ has a very wonderful special needs. Yes. Ministry, and we went, spent a day with the family there that started it and toured and went to dinner with them. And, um, I remember coming back here and meeting with some folks from the church and being so excited. Could we do something like this? And it was, we didn't have room. We didn't have space. It just, and I've seen so much evolve since then, you mm. know, I can see where you guys are going and that it is becoming some, I know with the new plans, the new vision of the church. And, um, I've seen that in kids too. I feel like kids are becoming more compassionate. I'm not seeing the bullying that I anticipated for Wyatt. Um, I have to share this real quick because Please. I think this, I think this is so powerful. Um, one of the kids that Wyatt plays chess with, I had a conversation with his mother about how wonderful her son is with my son. Again, most kids don't know what to do with Wyatt. And um, she told me that he wasn't always like that, but there was a kid in his class 
who had um, a bald head, cancer, you know, um, and he got in trouble one day at school for making fun of him. And his mother sat down with him and had a conversation about, um, you know, people that are different and, and how we should treat people. And she made him shave his head completely as solidarity for this kid. And he did it. And she said that, that did it. You know, he had a whole other outlook and compassion for other kids. And I just thought that was so powerful. Um, but I've been really lucky to see that in the church and in friends and school. And that has helped me spiritually too, to feel welcome and comfortable. Like I can go and worship there and not have to worry about Wyatt. Um, wow. That's beautiful. And thank you. And thank you for connecting your own spiritual journey with the people around you, you know, and their spiritual journey. And uh, something that uh, I was touched by Amanda's comments that go together with yours is that sometimes the socialization that we're working on with the student or child that has disabilities, we need to remember that the socialization has to be worked on the other side. Uh, you know, to your point about this incredible example of this mother, or to Beth's point about education, education, education. It's not just self-education, but it's the education of those around us. And it's the, you know, equipping, right? As we kind of uh, begin to turn uh, to the final few moments here, uh, Beth, how has your faith been impacted by your life in serving families and people with disabilities? I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is seeing Matthew sitting in the front row at church. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are just so many moments where I remember, like, because he knows where, where Mark and I sit. So, like, he would intentionally turn around and look for us and wave at me. I mean, those moments, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. So, um, for sure, I mean, just seeing the light in him, and that is his gift. That is his spiritual gift. It's yes. just, he's just a light, right? I mean, that's just, that's, that's Jesus right there is, is, is shining through him. Mm. Um, and Joey's baptism. I mean, I watched that video, oh my goodness, probably two or three times. And every time it was just moving and I was weeping. And so Joey, what you've done, I'm, I love that you're right there because what you've done and how you, how you teach through your example and, and just being present, like you are amazing. You are a light and you are an example um, to everybody that meets you. And um, so I know I'm super touched by, by all of that. And, and I think just, it's just so amazingly powerful, more than words. It's just, it's just how these kids shine. And, and I do, I, I agree with you, Amanda. I love that. Um, I know when Matthew entered the youth group, Justin and Kendra were so intentional and they reached out to me specifically, just because I'd worked with Matthew, um, you know, in elementary and, um, and we just had the conversation. I mean, they were so intentional and they wanted, they wanted Matthew to be an integral part of that ministry. You know, what would that look like? And, and I loved that they did that mm -hmm. because that conversation started a long time ago and it was powerful. It was beautiful. Um, and Alicia, I'm so thankful that you're seeing that at North Atlanta because there's been so many prayers lifted up over these these kids and our our kids, our families. Um, and it's it's um, it's very it's it's an amazingly unique, I think too. Um, I I've been super blessed by the the moments I've had with Joey, with Matthew. Um, and just some of the other other kids that have come through North Atlanta and through our, our student ministry, mm -hmm. whatever that looks like. So for me personally, it's been it's been amazing. So. Yeah. You know, 
Joey, uh, at your baptism, many people talk about what a difference you make in their life, that you are there to listen to them, the way that you love them, the way that you greet people, make people feel welcome. Many, many people said that Joey was the person that made them feel welcome and included. And so I, I think that's very, very powerful, you know. Is there anything that any of you would like to say as we close out? Just that final um, few thoughts that you'd like to share. Let's start with you, Alicia. Uh, any final thoughts that you want to share? I just, again, happy to have the conversation. I think this is, I think this is really important and I'm super excited to hear from people like Frank and Amanda and people that have done this before us. And again, give us lots of hope for Wyatt. And, you know, I, we've gotten to know some of the other families at church that are closer to our age who also have mm -hmm. kids on the spectrum and we're in this together. And it's also a great way to encourage others that are looking for a place that they can be comfortable. Um, but I'm just, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I look to these others to lead the way and um, it gives me a lot of hope. And I appreciate you having this conversation, including us. Oh, thank you. Thank you for including me on the journey, right? Uh, Amanda and Joey, do you have any final words you'd like to share? I'm really glad we're having the conversation. And, um, you know, I certainly hope that um, it does provide hope um, to, to families that are just coming into this journey. Um, and families that are facing changes in this journey. You know, every age group has its different, um, you know, solutions that we have to come up with. Also, um, you know, just the opportunity to say, hey, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Frank talked about the mask. You know, sometimes all I can do is just say, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, but um, just for people to know maybe that we're not always fine. We're not always fine. And we're, we're trying to maybe make things a little easier for them, you know, and, uh, yes, but you know, all in all, just uh, the opportunity to share about it, um, the advocacy and that the church actually cares specifically about a group of people that may or may not, be able to advocate for themselves is an amazing thing. So I, that's very much appreciated. Amen. In it together, right? Yes. Okay. Well, that it's important to have a sense of community where we can be honest, we can share, we can be real, and we can really address, you know, things. And sometimes just get so stubborn that, you know, we put Missouri meals to shame in accomplishing what we need to do. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. Beth? So finally, I, I think just... Um, again, I'm so thankful to be a part of this conversation. I agree. I think it's conversation. I think it's equipping. It's educating. It's loving on each other, and it's remembering to to not only love on our on our our kids, but to love on the families, um, and just to be super mindful of the day to day and um, the day to day the day to day joys, and maybe the the days that aren't so great. But I think, I think so. I'm so thankful for you as families for having that discussion because that helps me be super mindful of that. Um, yes. I don't, I don't have a child with, with any disabilities. I have a niece who is dyslexic, but just being reminded of your day to day, I'm super thankful for that um, as an educator, but more importantly, as a, <laughs> as a fellow, as a sister. Amen. So I'm super thankful for that. Thank you. Well, Joey, do you have anything you want to say as we close out? 
Joey. When I saw the video, yeah, like 800 views. That <laughs> <laughs> there's a video. It went up because of you, Joey. Like, it got like we posted so many times. Yep. Yep. I love that. Wasn't that exciting? Yeah. I know. I know. Well, Joey, you have that beautiful impact on people. And thank you for joining us. I want to say thank you to all of you who joined in the conversation today and for all of the listeners who are going to be listening to this uh, podcast, the three-part series on disabilities, as well as the conversations that have been developed. There are five total conversations, uh, one with Ryan Lee, uh, a person on the autism scale who is a powerful advocate in the Atlanta area. These three family conversations where different people have been sharing. And then uh, the final installment is actually two of our folks who work directly in Georgia government and in advocacy. And they share powerful ways that we can advocate uh, for people and families. And so again, I wanna thank you for joining us for the Love First podcast. And we would love for you to go to lovefirst.org and see the other ways that you can join in and find a home at Northwood. Thank you. Love first, I